Today on Physically Spiritual, I explore the relationship between community and holiness. Welcome to Physically Spiritual. I've been amazed by how much growing physically healthier has changed my spiritual life. I'm captivated by discovering the truth about my body and how it reveals God. Physically Spiritual is my attempt to harmonize and share what I've discovered. I'm your host, Andrew Reinhardt. This episode is the beginning of a new series. It's a short primer on this idea of the connection between community and holiness. And then after this, I'll have a few episodes with guests exploring the same topic. I've talked in previous episodes about the myth of the Lone Ranger. We have this, uh, this notion in our society of this rugged individual who lives off on their own and, and doesn't need society, isn't affected by those around them. And this is, is ingrained in our minds almost. We have this idea that, that if we really want to be the person we want to be, we do that by resisting the tides of, of what's around us. And I think this notion is, is one, it's a, it's a false image, it's a lie, but also I believe it's not true to human nature. I believe we're designed to be affected by those we're around. And part of becoming the people we're called to be, part of being holy, we're meant to do that by going along with the tide. Not a tide toward, toward lies and towards destruction and toward evil, but a tide toward goodness and holiness and truth. We're designed to be part of a community and to be moved by that community and for that char- our character to be formed by the people we're around. One of the issues, especially in, in Western society, in the United States and in some elements of, of Europe, is uh, this, uh, there was, I think, a conflict between communitarianism and individualism in our culture. And this was really played out by, uh, by a caricaturization of both in the form of communism and socialism on one hand and capitalism and democracy on the other hand. I think in, in our society's rejection of, of communism, which is a good thing, all forms of communitarianism were rejected along with it. And this idea is the, the basic notion of, of emphasizing the community, the connection of the person over the individual, the fact that we're connected um, and, and, and this, this mode of, of conceptualizing the world was a part of the communist and socialist worldview. Now, the issue with that worldview was that it's materialist and atheistic in its expression in society. Um, and, and so it, it, it really led to a lot of destruction and harm in the world. Um, but we shouldn't have thrown the baby out with the bathwater, I think if we, if we take a close look at the scriptures and if we really think about human nature and, and the design that God has given us, we are at base community. We're meant to be connected, not connected through structures of, of economic connections and productivity goals and, and goals of power projection and, and these kind of greater powers that came to play during the Cold War. But we're meant to be connected through structures of family. So I believe Catholicism is really a f- kind of a family communitarianism. We're called into these structures of family. Uh, and, and, and I would say that there's, I think, two elements of family that we can be in touch with that broadens its definition across society. One is family is a relationship of dependence. When you're born into a family, you don't offer a whole lot other than just being cute and being the, the, uh, the fulfillment of your parents' dreams. But other than that, you are completely dependent on them for everything. You're, 
kind of a leech, right? You can't feed yourself. You can't change your diaper. You don't contribute anything of value, quote unquote, from the society's perspective to that family. Now, on the other hand, there's nothing more valuable than a little baby in the whole world. But to be in a family is to be in a relationship of dependence. And as we get older, I think if we think we become less dependent, I think it's really a mirage, an image, a falsehood. We remain, I believe, equally as dependent on God and those around us as that little baby does on their parents. Right? Would you get any food without God's creation? Could you be held in being without God's love and care and governance in your life? Could you uh, ever really have your needs met without the people around you caring for you? I don't think you can, even though we live with that illusion. So that the first element of family is real dependence on one another. The second element of family that I think is essential is providence. God gives us our family. We don't pick our family. God gives us our family. This, this idea, I think, is, is essential to it. We don't pick our siblings. We kind of pick our spouse, but there's even, I think, an element of you can't, it's not like you go out on a buffet and, and pick the person you want to live your life with. And even though you pick the person you start dating, you don't know who the heck that person is until you've spent a good amount of time with them. Right? So there's this way that you just sort of end up with the people you end up with. I believe strongly that God gives us our family. And this is one of the elements that I think that sets it apart of, from friends. Right? Because people, they move on from their friends. They get new friends. But we can't truly get a new family. So dependence and providence, I think, set relationships of family apart from other relationships we have. And, and the core to thriving in family is to love those that God gives you. Love those that God gives you. And then allow yourself to be loved by those that God has given you. So we're created in family. We, we fall into sin as a family. We're redeemed in a family and we're glorified in a family. This is the scriptures. The Trinity is a communion of persons. I think the best image we have for the Trinity is a family as far as like an analogy to understand it by from our human understanding. It's, a, it's an analogy of love, a relationship of love, family. We're created in a family. Adam and Eve were a couple who had children. They're a family. They fell as a family. It was the act of the husband and wife together, of eating the fruit together, both of them falling and, and falling short in their roles as husband and wife. We're redeemed in a family. God, God brings himself into the world in a holy family. Then finally, we're glorified as a family. We're presented with an image of heaven as, as the, the wedding feast of a, of a bride and groom, of Christ in the church. Right? So, so there's this family dynamic throughout the whole scripture. So now when we think in, in our particular circumstances, in my particular life, in my concreteness, and in the concreteness of my community, the people I live with, the society that I'm a part of, these structures will also be saved, redeemed, and transformed through family, through relationships of dependence and providence. The, the, uh, Pope John Paul II liked to talk about the family as a school of prayer, that it's within the family that we learn how to relate to God. You know, when the Catechism talks about this, it, it, it in, encourages us to realize that the fatherhood and motherhood of the father and mother in a family introduce the child to God's fatherhood and God's motherhood. 
And then it's one of the, the most challenging quotes in the whole catechism. It says that we can disfigure the face of fatherhood. And we know this is true. I mean, sociology plays it out. Psychology plays it out. We talk about trauma. We talk about ACE, adverse childhood experiences. We talk about, uh, you know, all the issues that come when parents fail their children. And we know that this has so many devastating effects in a child's life. So we, we know that this is true, that the face of fatherhood and motherhood can be disfigured by parents who fail to love. But the opposite is equally as true, that the mother and father can configure the face of motherhood and fatherhood for the child. It's, in a sense, the, the bodies of the mother and the father are the first catechism for the child. By hearing their words, by feeling the touch, they learn the nature of reality in those relationships of love. And that gives them a foundation for living in the truth. When we talk about forming priests in the church, the church provides, uh, first in a document written by Pope John Paul II, Pastores da Bovobis, four pillars of formation. And the idea is that in order for uh, a man to be prepared to be a priest, he needs to have human formation. That's the foundation, being truly human, being a person who's flourishing, relatable, uh, having um, real maturity in order to give themselves as gift. You need intellectual formation, right? Learning, new, learning concepts, learning philosophy, theology. Uh, the ideas you need, you need, spiritual formation, learning how to pray, learning how to relate to God. Uh, overcoming sin and vice and, and transforming your life in God's image. And then pastoral formation, the practicals of being a pastor, of being a father to a parish. And I've often uh, sometimes heard it said, like, why isn't there a seminary for marriage? Right? We'll send a priest off for at least five, six, seven, sometimes up to nine years of formation to to be formed in these pillars and to learn what they need to know and to enter into a new family community in order for their life to be transformed even further in order for them to be prepared to be ordained a priest. But what do we offer people who are going to get married? Sometimes just a couple meetings with the priest where they might, uh, you know, fill out a survey or something and get a little bit of feedback, plan their wedding, uh, maybe go through some of the basic church teaching, maybe be required to attend a retreat together, right? Why don't we provide some more formation for people entering marriage. And the answer is that the home is the seminary for the family. We're, we're formed human as a human, intellectually, spiritually, and pastorally. We're called to be formed in our homes. So in this environment, we learn to be mother. We learn to be father. We learn to be brother. We learn to be sister. We learn to be child. And in that context, uh, we're, we're, we're called into, into the life of Christ in our concrete context. But this isn't our reality, is it? I mean, whose who's family lived up to this call perfectly? Right? Everyone has some amount of disfiguration in their life, some amount of, of misformation, of, of a failure to, to really receive everything that they're called to be in their home. And this is normal. So what else does the church give us? What other family structures does the, the church provide for us in order to be formed? Well, one of the uh, expressions the church uses for the family is the domestic church. Domestic is like the home, the family, and the church is a community of believers who worship God together. So the domestic church is the family. And, and the inverse is true 
of your church, of your parish, of your local Catholic community. The parish is called to be an ecclesial family, a family that plays out in a broader context of community of believers. And we call the pastor father. We call the priest father. And this isn't accidental. This is their vocation. It's a vocation of fatherhood. Every terminal vocation is a life of espoused love that's generative and life-giving. Whether you're called into marriage, whether you're called into priesthood, or whether you're called into some form of consecrated life, whether it be in the context of a religious community or a consecrated life in the form of some kind of consecrated singleness for the Lord in the context of your parish or some other ecclesial um, organization. So everyone's called in this kind of, of generative, consecrated, given family life. And the pastor's family is the parish. So the parish is meant to be the school of prayer, the place of formation that, that supplements and, 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 uh, and improves and also picks up where our family left off. Now, once again, this is a high calling that not many of our churches probably live up to. But this holistic vision of formation is a part of the picture, human formation, becoming mature, overcoming trauma and difficulties, becoming that full person who possesses themselves to give themselves away, Uh, intellectual formation, learning about the faith, spiritual formation, learning how to pray to be in a real meaningful relationship with God, and then pastoral formation, learning the practicals of being able to share the gospel and work in the mission of the church. Right? This is what the parish is called to. And so much of what I present here in Physically Spiritual, I think, could be included in the parish context, whether it be exercise apostolates like soul core or Pietra Fitness, or um, you know, different modes of healing in the Catholic context. Like we've talked about different themes of, of psychology or like the work of Dr. Matthew Brudinger or, or the episode I did with Jake Kim and the John, work of the John Paul II Healing Institute. Right? All of these different tools integrate into the Catholic context to fill out the way that the parish becomes that house of formation, that family that continues that work of transformation in our life. Virtue, I think, can only come about in the context of real community. Yes, community with God, but God's always calling us into community with other people. The whole scriptures uh, plays out in stories of instrumentality, where, yeah, God sometimes directly intervenes, but he, de- he typically intervenes to call people to do his work. So the majority of people in the scripture who are transformed by the Lord are transformed through the people God calls to work on his behalf. So this is what uh, I think early monastic communities discovered. These early monks who became, sometimes they're called the desert fathers, oftentimes they would leave society or, or try to enter into some form of isolation from the world in order to live a more perfect life. And what they found is for practical reasons, but also because it was more fruitful, these hermits formed community together. They didn't fully isolate from each other. They couldn't isolate from each other, whether because people just went out and sought them or because going out in the desert by yourself is a good way to die. Whatever it was, they started to form communities together. And these communities became the earliest monasteries. And it was clear that living out the life of virtue in community was the more common road of perfection 
than living it out as a hermit. I, I believe that living out a life as a hermit is a supernatural vocation, meaning that some people are called to it, but it, but it isn't a natural path. It's a path that's, that's completely reliant on grace. So the most common path to, to the life of a hermit is through a monastic life. Someone will live a community life for a period of time, and then within that context of living in community, they feel called to then go into a more extreme way of being given to the Lord, a more extreme way of living and giving their heart only to God. I think one of the issues in our society is we live in a lot of between states, a lot of spaces in between, a lot of kind of uh, communal limbos that uh, really, I think, damage people. You know, oftentimes people are, are kind of in irregular relationship situations in our world today where they're sort of uh, connected to some people but not fully married to them and sometimes raising children with them or sometimes divorced or separated, whatever the situation can be. And oftentimes these places of limbo make it so difficult because the heart wants someone to love and be loved by, but the concrete circumstances the person lives in uh, resists a more complete fulfillment of that longing. Right? There, there's, uh, and, and then also, sometimes people kind of in their long singleness end up never being fully consecrated. So there's these spaces where people live in where they, uh, they kind of live a, an unconsecrated single life, uh, an extended bachelorhood or, or, uh, or, or whatever the, the context is, where they really live in, in more or less an isolation and almost nobody actually knows them. And it, and it can give the illusion of holiness because you, you go out into these moments of connection, like that small group at your parish or that Bible study that you go to once a week or showing up at church and talking to people or that social club that you belong to. And, and you have these moments of being with people where you're able to be the person you want to be. But then the majority of your life plays out in this relative isolation where nobody's there, nobody knows you. Um, and, and, so, and so vice can fester and linger in a life of isolation. And, and, and so there can be this protracted um, uh, period of stagnation in a spiritual life. Um, because virtue, the growth in virtue, plays out in being known and knowing other people by being loved and loving other people, by loving the people God has given you and and being loved by the people that God has given you. Like that's, that's that place of the transformation of heart, being redeemed in, in the context of a family, whether it be a biological family or, or a parish family or some other communal expression. Right? So, so I, I believe one of the, the deepest callings of the churches today is to break through these situations where there's uh, this disconnection in people's lives to provide a more more radical givenness, a more radical connectedness, a deeper level of connection. And and the challenge of this is we need to enter into the muck and mire. We need to let people be themselves. We need to let them belong before we expect compliance, before we expect behavior in a certain context. Because it's love that pulls people through the wounds. It's love that allows the transformation to happen. As our society has um, has disintegrated around us, oftentimes we look f- 
for our churches to be the sole um, mode of rebuilding community. And I think that doesn't work either. Because if you look at the way our churches originally expanded, oftentimes um, the church identified an already existing community and then offered that community like a mission or an extension of another church. And then as that community became more a true city, a true community of believers, that then became a parish, right? So, so the parish was actually a result of a pre-existing community. And today, as our communities have disintegrated and dissolved around us and become sort of facsimiles and falsehoods of, of true connection, um, now we expect our community, our parishes to become the things that make community happen. But that's not what they were designed to do. That's not why they were there. They were there in response to a pre-existing community, not as a reagent to cause community. Um, so all this is to say, we need to dig down deeper. Dig down deeper in a more basic level. It's not going to happen in the context of your thousand-member parish community or thousand-family parish community or, or in the context of just going and talking to people after Sunday Mass. Right? It's, it's, it's digging down into a smaller level of connection, of building from a, a core of radical knowing and being known, and for some people, like the next right step is just going out and getting a cup of coffee with somebody and being authentic with them. And then the next step might be like inviting them into something real, something meaningful. Maybe uh, inviting them over to share Christmas dinner or something like that. But then continuing to be willing to drive deeper into the intimacy, into the connection, into the relationship, into the meaningfulness. You know you're starting to get into the space when you start to actually no longer want to spend time with the other person. And this might sound really contrary, but remember, the distinction between family and friendship is a family is a relationship of dependence and providence. We need to get to the point where our barriers are down and we're just actually ourselves with the other person. We're just ourselves with all of our wounds, with all of our mess. And when two people get together, and they're incompletely formed and they're just themselves, what you notice is the relationship starts to look a lot more like siblings. And those little five- and six-year-old siblings are actually pretty crappy to each other. And that school of love, that school of prayer, that school of formation, at first looks a lot more like those toddlers being crappy to each other than it does our perfect, well-ordered, well-mannered, uh, Bible study that we all show up at and put a mask on in. So this is, once you get to that point of connection where you start to hurt each other, where you don't want to be together, where you're like, I don't want my kids to know those kids anymore. I don't want, you know, to have to have those difficult uh, conversations where, you know, I have to like talk to people about the way they've hurt me or apologize or forgive or try to continue to make conversation with that person who's introverted, like all this nitty-gritty of being with other people. It's entering in and piercing through that place of the cross where the transformation of heart occurs. And what we do is, the second we get into that space where we're fully exposed, where we're actually known, where we're our full crappy self, 
with another person we're called to love, right? Then we start to hide again. And the healing never happens. The healing never happens. This is what Pope uh, St. John Paul II said on January 16th, 1980 in his Wednesday audience. He says, the affirmation of the person is nothing other than welcoming the gift, which through reciprocity creates the communion of persons. And this communion builds itself from within. I repeat that. The affirmation of the person is nothing other than welcoming the gift, which through reciprocity creates the communion of persons. This communion builds itself from within. This communion builds itself. So, so the affirmation of the person, like this is what you need. You need to be known at your worst and to be affirmed. Not affirmed in your sin, but affirmed in your basic humanity, in your goodness. Challenged out of your sin, but loved in yourself. Right? This is the dynamic of the confessional. But the, the form of our rites are meant to teach us about the form of the rest of our life. So what we receive in the confessional is a, a sacramental instruction for the structure of, of the family that plays out outside of the confessional, in the parish life and in our community. So this is nothing other than welcoming the gift. And so, so this is what you do with like your toddler. And I have toddlers now, so I think about this a lot. Is like, like when my two-year-old scratches my newborn, <laughs> how do I react to that? Like this is the space of challenge for me in my life right now. So I need to both make sure he knows that's not okay and create that boundary, protect my newborn, simultaneously affirming my child in the sense of like Conrad Barr's affirmation, like, like I love you regardless of the bad things you've done, but I expect more. And, and welcoming the gift of that other person into the family, continue to welcome them, right? It's through that that then that that child learns uh, who God is, who they are, and then become over time capable of reciprocity. This is this is the kingdom building itself from within, and so then like as an adult, when this hasn't been completed, this full maturing, this full affirmation, this full becoming a personality to use the, the language of um, Dietrich von Hildebrand, um, when this hasn't happened, then, then the way we do it isn't by like showing up and simulating maturity, like acting like we're all put together. It's by finding places of connection where this kind of affirmation, this kind of loving, this kind of encounter of welcoming the gift of the other, even though the gift isn't that great at first, <laughs> right? this is the space of growth, the space of true maturity. Right? And, and this is the place of challenge that each one of us are called to enter into in our families, in our friendships, in our Bible studies, in our small groups, in our parishes, in, in whatever context, whatever people God has given you to love, to be fully known and to know others, to affirm them and to give others a chance to affirm you in your deepest core, to be welcomed as a gift even when the gift is kind of stinky, <laughs> to welcome others as a gift, to give and receive love, to become a communion of persons, to allow the kingdom to build itself from within in our context. Like that's the true transformation 
of the world around us uh, that we have an opportunity to live out in the gospel. So in the next few episodes, we'll be exploring these dynamics of the relationship between community and holiness. And I hope you will join me for the ride. God bless everyone. Thank you so much for listening to or watching Physically Spiritual. I'm so grateful for every moment you've given to this show. Please remember to subscribe, like, follow, and share the show. And if you want to support everything we're doing at Physically Spiritual or at Awaken Catholic, you can become a patron of the show at physicallyspiritual.com. To find anything I'm up to, head over to becominggift.com. God bless everyone.